0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. And
0: And welcome welcome to to School of Movies. The Studio Ghibli Collection, Spirited Away. This one is not only what I would consider to be the best Hayao Miyazaki directed film, not only the best that Studio Ghibli has made to this day, but to me, a strong contender for the most beautiful film ever made. Up against the likes of Moana, The Lion King, that's the original folks, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and The Fall all of which operate on a level that steps out of our mundane reality to deliver utterly captivating dreams. Here with us to delve into this densely layered and rich fairy tale are Brendan Agnew of Synapse. Greetings. And Queen of the Pink-Haired Catgirls, Alejandra Vargas. Meow, everybody. (laughs) The cat returns! This 2001 feature was seen by Disney Pixar's over-familiar studio head John Lasseter, originally in Japanese. He was blown away and encouraged Disney to make a big fuss about distributing something quite so prestigious in the United States. His involvement ensured that this one got a thoroughly world-class American language track. This is one of those ones where you can't lose either way. You just uh, American, Japanese, it, it's just fantastic. This was Hayao Miyazaki's eighth directed feature film, sandwiched between Princess Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle, making this arguably the peak era of his astonishing ability. And the concept seems deceptively simple, but as you will hear, it is party to overt yet complex symbology. As we begin, a ten-year-old girl named Chihiro is being ferried in her parents' four-wheel drive Audi to their new home. She has had to leave her school and friends behind, especially her best friend Lily who has given her a pretty bouquet of pink flowers. Chihiro is sullen and complaining, very much not wanting to be forcibly moved like this. As they near the new house, her dad veers off the main road and onto a disused forest path, driving pell-mell through the trees, past abandoned Shinto shrines and mossy little statues, and stopping at what appears to be the entrance to an old, abandoned train station. Mom and Dad go wandering off down a long, dark corridor while Chihiro frets and cringes on the outskirts before following her parents, who largely ignore her fear and belly aching. The trio come across what appears to be a theme park, abandoned for at least ten years after the boom time of the 1980s and the market decline of the 1990s in Japan. It appears to be a fabricated version of Japan's past, and the parents waste no time in sitting down at a buffet of delicious and suspicious, freshly prepared foodstuffs. Chihiro freaks out at this transgression and wanders off to explore, finding an old and vacant bathhouse as not a living soul makes itself known. The sun rapidly starts to set as she returns to her parents to find enormous pigs wearing their clothes and still guzzling the unpaid-for food. Understandably shaken, Chihiro looks for an escape, only to meet a mysterious boy clad in white and blue named Haku. As the world transforms around them both into a new place of spirits, gods, ghosts and strange creatures, Chihiro finds herself disappearing until Haku gives her a little food which anchors her to this plane of existence. The stage is now set for this nervous young girl to do some serious growing up as she looks for a way to rescue her now porcine parents and get back to the human world. So rather than just reeling off what I think everything means, I'm going to make this much more of a discussion. We are lifting the lid, but we must not take too much, and we have a responsibility to the future by leaving that lid open and inviting investigation by anybody who loves this amazing and easily adorable film. So, when I say this is staggeringly beautiful, could you, like, imagine the people listening have never seen a Ghibli film. How how would you describe the aesthetic that we're seeing throughout?
2: Exceedingly luscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of greens, but even when you move away from, you know, Miyazaki's favorite nature aesthetic, the bathhouse is just... It looks like something you would platform around in, like, the latest Mario game, Mm -hmm. where they've just put all this stuff in the background, and it's like, man, that's got to be real expensive in hand-drawn animation. And even the CGI effects, like, there's one bit where, like, they're going through, like, clearly CGI-added flowers, Mm -hmm. and for the time period, you think it would look awful. It looks amazing.
0: Yeah, they managed the magic trick of making, effectively, 90s CG look really, really good in a way that doesn't age
1: it works particularly well for the water effects that they use occasionally mm. I wouldn't quite say that it looks impressionistic because there's far too much detail for that but there is it, it does have that sense of as something moves toward not moves towards but as as you go back through the layers into the background it it disappears into a way that you can almost you can see the brush strokes even though you can't because the there aren't any but it, it's there's a not quite there element to some of the more far away imagery and it has that richness of an oil painting there's a very, there's a depth to the color especially the backgrounds that makes the world feel livable and surrounding and enveloping of chihiro the further she goes into it but it also doesn't feel quite real.
3: Possibly the high point of what I kind of think of as uh, Studio Ghibli's like filigree art style. They they've got so many movies where like the backgrounds and the the na- like the nature, the pastoral landscapes whenever there's trees, bushes, that goes into exquisite detail in a lot of their films. Specifically in Mononoke, you can see the the same artistic team that was kind of going along with Miyazaki on his 90s movies throughout this. But this is the first time that they get quite so, it just really into the details of man-made structures. And so you get this great contrast between the very obviously beautiful facade of the bathhouse stuff that they're going through, and then the interiors of the actual bathhouse itself, specifically um, uh, Yubaba's quarters. Mm. The It's so ornate and so gorgeous that it goes beyond realism. It goes basically into a, a hyper-realism that really accents just how other this place is and and how otherworldly it feels and you're you're not like like you said it's it is like a painting but it's also sort of like a a world within a world just because of how dense everything is layered. Especially once once you get into Um, just like the the layers and layers of the bathhouse, whether it's the dingy stairs and rusty pipes and these metal slab stones, or just the, the insane woodwork on just like, here's five doors that are opening. Are we gonna see them again? Probably not. Are we gonna have them be just ludicrously detailed? You bet your ass. (laughs) <laughs>
1: there is something about the materials that appear in each different zone, if you like, as well. The the outside, before they enter the theme park, is all grass. Uh, and, and there's some, some trees and bushes, but most of it is this this waving, soft grass. Then once they get into the theme park, everything is tile. And there's this sort of terracotta pink that infuses everything. Mm-hmm. Then once they're into the bathhouse, it's all woods and bamboos. And up in uh, Yubaba's quarters it's these incredibly intense blue enamels
0: do we have any kind of color theory for what these mean because obviously the we've already mentioned many times that uh, green tends to symbolize nature itself in ghibli movies as the it, it as soon as i saw i think i may have said this in some other podcast but as soon as i saw this kind of ghibli green on an oled screen i think the first one i saw was uh, my my PSP, that was my first OLED screen before we got the TV. It made me realize I had never seen green like that in nature, but it doesn't look artificial at all. Mm -hmm. And when you actually watch this film on an OLED, just that level of green, it's, it's like you're perceiving that for the first time.
2: I don't really have any specific color theory for individual colors, but it it I mostly was struck by how plain Chihiro's clothes are throughout the film. Um she is just sort of this uh, speck of normality that's just getting buffeted around by all these uh, big and wild characters. Even the the um cleaning ladies are wearing bright pink, which I know is kind of a Oddly traditional clothing choice for Japan, but it still stands out against her clothing before and after
0: she uh, gets into the bathhouse. It's, uh, she, when she dons that garb, that is not an outfit for her, that is camouflage. She's blending in with all the other girls.
3: And under that pink, you have this dark blue blue apron that everyone wears Mm. and this is one of the few times i've seen a miyazaki film where blue is a color associated because so often the the natural world is a a retreat and blue for example in nausicaa is like almost like a color of power Mm. and in this blue is almost essentially an not necessarily an enemy, but an obstacle to overcome because it is it is Yubaba's color. It's also Zaniba's color, and she's she's introduced as an antagonist. It's the color of the river that fills in the road that she's then unable to cross over. but but it's not it, again, it's it this is this is just part of the world that you have to cope with, not so much a, you know, thing that you're going to have to um, defeat. Uh, because so much of what this film is about, it's about observing the rules of the world and being able to to manage this, not in a way that is about conquering and, and overcoming, so much as growing beyond and understanding.
0: There's a definite Alice in Wonderland influence for this whole thing. It's that the... Uh... The fact that she is stuck with people who shout all the time and uh, seem to be going about. Like, that's something that actually uh, it has in common with Carol's work. Everyone in the Alice book seems to be going about their day and Alice sort of gets in the way and is a nuisance and they kind of have to sweep her on to the next adventure. Uh, and But here... Chihiro is here to learn. There, there is, there, is somef- there is growth taking place throughout, which I don't honestly think I've ever really seen in an Alice adaptation, aside from something like an, a, a similar influenced one, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm.
1: If you interpret Alice's stories as transitional, which this very definitely is, mm. then the the learning is there but you really have to pick it out of some absurdity but they do also both the Alice books have the the queen in charge who stomps and shouts and is bigger than she ought to be Mm. and and ostensibly speaks
0: severely to her boy and beats him when he sneezes
1: indeed and and has a a relationship with Alice but one that is very antagonistic and Mm. and bossy and and telling her what to do all the time Mm.
2: I definitely noticed the Alice in Wonderland comparison. And it doesn't feel like um, Miyazaki set out to make an Alice in Wonderland pastiche. It feels more like he set out to do that kind of story yeah. where yeah. a girl travels through a magical, mystical place. And it just it resembles Alice in Wonderland because that's our cultural shorthand. You know, she goes through a tunnel. Um, they don't, I thought it was very strange that they don't actually pass through the Tori gate, that thing you took a picture of, because those are always at the entrance to Shinto shrines mm-hmm. to symbolize the passing through to an, uh, the alternate uh, world, and they don't actually pass through it, they drive past it mm-hmm. and then go
1: through a tunnel. Because her parents do not properly enter the spirit world.
3: There's also the the way they use this world's, almost co-opting of of the, uh, the commercialized version of spirituality, cultural heritage, tradition, the the very old style of the spirit world, the the bathhouse. It's almost like this is a world where all of the the natural and the magical has had to kind of escape behind abandoned structures that sort of resemble an idea of what they're supposed to represent because everything else has just been I mean, the, the the whole thing about the, Kaha- the kohaku river it got filled in you know all this this encroaching uh modernity and civilization has like forced a lot of things out of their natural habitat and so they're kind of having to shift behind whatever they can find like this weird little bathhouse that's also a 90s uh bankrupted retreat hmm.
1: the whole thing is Set in the overlap of liminal spaces, <sighs> that sense of world between worlds of a theme park that is empty of people. I am I am really familiar with that that specific having feeling, worked in a the theme park um, and and been there after hours and before it opens. Yeah, it carries this incredibly creepy tone to it. <clears throat> but the bathhouse as well is, is also a liminal space. It's a gateway between the spirit world and the physical world. And this is somewhere where the the spirits of the things that manifest themselves in the real world, such as rivers, radishes, various assorted other creatures that are never named or or entities rather because they're not all animals but their spirits come to the bathhouse in order to refresh and replenish to draw energy from the spirit world proper which we don't see them go into so that they can then go back into the real world and be fully themselves in the real world and that that thing about the river Haku's river having been filled in there is a river in the theme park that they have tried to build and been unable to to complete mm. so effectively what's happened in this story is they've tried to move a river from one place to another place well that is no longer a river that's a canal um, a, a human-made river is not a river yeah, it's a giant so they've,
0: trench full of water exactly
1: so they have transformed what it is and therefore can't complete it mm. they can't bring a spirit into it
3: nice that really does a great job of showing Chihiro's personal journey, because this is a liminal space for her, but it's one with a purpose. We we think of Alice in Wonderland as kind of a a nonsense story, but so much of what it was set out to do was to sort of teach logic ideas to, to kids, because it's a nonsense world where Alice is having to use different logical approaches to things. And this, with Chihiro, is she's basically having to do the emotional side of that. Um, there's there's almost no like logic that you can wrap your hands around in this. They explain everything only as much as they absolutely have to, and even then sometimes maybe not. But the the whole point is the the emotional growth, and it's it's we're, we're getting to see basically uh, the entire other side of that approach with a very familiar setting. But again, like you said, the the whole world is here just to be, like, it's essentially a train stop. They're right next to it. this is not too different than like a really fancy bed and breakfast next to a
1: freeway. Mm, Yeah, and if you think of the whole overarching theme of the story as the idea that transitions are hard, and if we don't notice them at all, we end up falling into danger because we don't see that the pathway we were on has shifted and we need a different set of skills and a different way of looking at our surroundings but if we get overwhelmed by those transitions and don't take the steps to learn those new skills and adopt those new perspectives then we can't grow and progress through life but at the same time we can't we can't avoid growing older we can't avoid moving down the path into life we will be dragged along it whether we rise to the challenge or not the point of these uh, these gateways that hero is constantly going through there's there's so many elements of this story that are, are built together out of doorways and stairways and uh, rivers and bridges and just there's this constant sense of shifting from one state to the next and the the moments of of peace and you can sit down now and you can eat and you can breathe that Chihiro is afforded they're few and far between but my god are they precious when she has them
2: the uh transition to a new place thing uh I picked up on a not an, a super strong overarching theme, but her whole journey into the bathhouse kind of feels like her first day at a new school. Mm. Um, She runs into Haku, the class president, before she really meets anyone else, and then she has to meet him later, and he has to kind of button up their relationship and pretend that he's just this authority figure. The big one for me was that when Yubaba takes her name away, uh, which obviously has a lot of other implications, but the one that I noticed that ties into the moving to a new school is that she only takes some of the letters out of her name. It turns from Chihiro to Sen. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, I think it's either the kanji or the uh, hiragana for Sen, was already in her name. Like Mm. the leftover symbol was in there. And that was, that's just kind of something that might happen to you if you move somewhere and have to like mix in with a new like friend group dynamic where someone will notice something funny about your name and they'll make a joke out of it. And then that will be your name.
0: Uh, The actual uh, Kanji translates to 1000. She literally has to be transformed from a person into a number. As she is funneled into this place of work, that too. Yeah, there is an attitude to work which I misinterpreted the first time I saw it. I passed it off as angry, selfish girl learns to be a decent person through hard work. That is way too simplified for what's actually going on here. Yubaba runs this bathhouse with an iron fist, and do you ever notice how rarely anyone in the bathhouse either a Gets any time off to do anything other than work or sleep, or B, gets paid. They,
3: yeah, no they- one gets paid. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're having to scrounge gold from from river gods or, mm. or or weird monsters. The closest they get to a break is I'm gonna open this window and have like three puffs of a cigarette, and then I have to go back to work.
2: Yeah. Uh, One thing that I uh, found in my research into Shintoism Mm -hmm. is that there's a pretty solid theme of, you cannot change your circumstances, you can only change your attitude, Mm -hmm. which, eh, that's, uh, I'm personally a big fan of changing circumstances, but that's not like a unique to Shintoism thing, that's actually pretty common in world religions. Uh, so what we got with Chihiro is that it's not so much that um, she needs to learn the value of hard work. It's more that the hard work is coming whether you want it to or not. So you, if you have a better attitude, it will be easier.
1: My interpretation of, of one of the themes of the, the work metaphor, because I think it, it does symbolize several different things here, but. To me, it was representative of the work of remaining aware and maintaining her connections to... She's transitioning from a conscious state into a, an unconscious or a fantasy state. So when she crosses the bridge with Haku's assistant... It struck me that he is effectively performing the role of a psychopomp here. Now, a psychopomp in Greek mythology is a spirit that helps the dying transition from a state of of being alive to a state of being dead. It, It escorts them to the underworld and guides them on the things that they need to do in order to get to the underworld. And in Jungian psychology, they use the same term to refer to something that helps you transition between a conscious state and an unconscious state so that you can learn from the unconscious and then bring it back to the conscious world. But the work that that Chihiro is advised to ask for is going to keep her aware of who she is and what she needs to come back to. So that while she's in this spirit world, she doesn't lose her grip on consciousness entirely and get changed into a state of animalistic unconsciousness. That's what she's trying to avoid. And the the implication here seems to be work is the thing that distinguishes humans from animals. But like I said, if you see the the work as being the, the keeping that awareness of your own consciousness, then although, yes, it is used for... The purposes of the bathhouse, it's the act of doing it that's important for Sen, not the product of the work, not the, uh, the outcome that obviously the boss is after. Mm.
2: That is um, such a fantastic little detail that you get, like, two lines on for you, Baba, where she's like, God damn it, why did I make a pledge to give anyone who asks me for work, work? Because <laughs> yes. it I clearly annoys out? her because, like, I was planning to murder you, but now you've asked me for work and I'm stuck. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. It's one of the, the things about this world that both plays into a very familiar sort of story structure but also goes directly against it because she like you said, Yubaba is bound by certain rules which is there's something uh, as, as much as I love the English dub there's just a little bit lost in terms of how much of her attitude is this is something I have to do versus this is something I'm doing to be vindictive because the the final test again is like I can't break the spell if we don't do one last thing, you know, we we're all bound by this stuff. Hmm. But one of the things that specifically like you were saying Alex, the way it it approaches work is in so many versions of this story that are going more by, like, the, um, um you know, for lack of a better term, the, the machine-perfected Pixar plot sort of formula, you know, you would see, oh, here's Chihiro. She's not very good at scrubbing the floors. Look at how slow she is compared to the, all the other girls. But now here's a montage showing her getting better at doing the thing and doing the water and doing the this. But in this, it is not about like the physical toil at all. It's about her basically stepping out of her own ego, because so much of her concerns in the, that opening of the film are just me, 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 my, my, mine. She's lazy, but it's also she's just really wrapped up only in a world of herself. Mm. And that's part of why transitioning to a, a new world, a new place with her parents, even in a mundane way, is really kind of. Hitting against those those personal boundaries, and all of the the work stuff in this, and the the toil, it's it's all emotional connections, and it's all trying to trying to use your your head, and she's she's doing a lot of emotional intelligence in this. It's you know they keep calling her an idiot, but you know she's the one who figures out the 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 the, the river spirit, you know the the stink guy, you know that's that's all her, and no, and you know all of it's because all the things that we're seeing she's paying attention to in a way that the film doesn't necessarily tie a bow onto but you can see it happen so every time the next basically hurdle that she goes over you're like oh yeah that's how she got there and and it's all very plain to see without feeling manufactured in a way so many of these sorts of young hero goes into other world to learn lessons stories are
1: she learns through observation so uh things like the medicine that she's given by the river spirit she doesn't know to give that to Haku out of nowhere she's tried it she knows what effect it had on her it made her
0: want to puke
1: exactly so she's able to then turn that around and apply it to him um but the the fact that she's in this the middle of this developmental period between the ages of about eight and twelve Children go through a an, an opening their eyes almost to the fact that there is a bigger, wider world out there. And if they if the, if it happens too fast and too close to the beginning of that developmental period, then they can end up really getting overwhelmed and, and end up in existential crisis too soon because they don't have the tools to deal with it. What... Is
0: that what happened to Willow?
1: Oh, yes damn but (laughs) but the the point that Chihiro is at at sort of 10-11 is this is this is the time to learn those tools and have them ready to then go back into the outside world and be able to deal with that realizing that there is more to the world than her and her immediate circle
2: Speaking of Pixar, the other movie that I was really reminded of while on this watch-through was Inside Out. It's kind of a mirror of Inside Out where Riley moves, uh, completely upends her friend group, but tries to go in with a positive attitude about it and that kind of also backfires on her in an interesting way, whereas Shihiro obviously went in with a really grouchy attitude and wasn't looking forward to it at all.
0: A core aspect is not even so much the hard work as the interaction. Obviously, we don't get to see her interact with people in the car, but her parents aren't listening to her, and everything that she gets to do in this film she's directed to do by people she asks, people she makes allies of. It makes her stand up, you know, wipe her face and actually uh, request aid, but then uh, set to work diligently on doing the task that she gets given. There are a few times when she does things unbidden, but those are after she starts gaining confidence and all of them seem to have compassion at their base. At no point does she refuse to take responsibility of no face. It's effectively stepping out into the world and having to brave talking to scary new people
2: and she does meet some very scary people Kamaji is a weird spider old man thing of a barber and he's not initially very nice he's mm. kind of yelly but like I don't know she just pushes onward and convinces him that she will uh Try, I guess. I guess that's the main thing is that he can she convinces Kamaji that she will put in the effort to succeed, she won't just like tap out and give up when things get tough. Mm. Lynn is so hot, I love her. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yes, well, the the other thing that Kamaji notices is he notices her like the first thing that that gets her a foot in the door in this, in the bathhouse after she is basically out from under Haku's protection is she helps out the soot sprite and she has no actual reason to, he's just keeping, he's kept telling her to go away, but he's, he's her notice something, notice something that needs to be done and try and try and assist someone else without any actual promise of reward. And, you know, again, there are rules. You can't just take someone else's job. This, you know, this is a spell thing, but there's something there and every time that you have an interaction like that is you're you're always having these characters meet her and initially be a little prickly or you know even outright jerks like Ubaba but again that's her job and then as they see the way she sees the world and and it's it's always about oh okay you you have something you care about something other than just yourself and it's almost like Chihiro needed to be reminded that that's worthwhile just in and of itself but also that taking care of other people is going to ultimately take care of you
1: she gets uh, i wouldn't necessarily say rewarded but there is an exchange every time she helps somebody so she helps the sprite with the coal uh, the sprites take care of her shoes for her so that when it's time for her to go back outside she can get them back and Gets that little bit of uh, protection of the 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 human world that she brought in with her. Um, She gives the uh, she pulls the gunk out of the river spirit and is rewarded with the medicine that's going to be useful to her later. She helps No Face over and over and over again, and.
0: She's the only one doing it out of kindness.
1: Exactly. They try, No Face tries to reward her with things she doesn't need or doesn't want or recognizes are not right for her. Um, what. I, I'm trying to remember what No Face is eventually able to bring to her. Companionship, maybe. Yeah.
0: He just sits with her. Yeah. And. No
2: Face is such a fascinating character because mm. I don't. I don't know what he's supposed to represent within, like, the Shinto Pantheon or, like, the bestiary, whatever you want to call
0: it. He's a spirit um, no that one... doesn't
1: have a place. He's, he's... he's not ascribed to anything.
0: He's a forlorn kid new in school who doesn't yeah. know anybody.
1: yeah
2: and Chihiro doesn't immediately do anything to him aside from make eye contact like she notices his existence whereas everyone else on the bridge is just ignoring him and that's it he follows her around because that one moment of connection is like something he craves she lets him into the building and that just sort of spirals further and further because he sort of becomes addicted to that validation and tries to get it in other places and she does eventually have to help him with that too. And the other thing that he
3: gives her, or or at least sort of helps bestow upon her, is something very minor that half the time I never even notice, and it's her little hairband. And that's something that the the movie, uh, you know, sort of does a, hey, this is, your, your friends made the thread for this, here, take this with you. And it's not something that we see, like provide a a big thing of protection or, or something. However, it is still a literal link of her memories and experiences and interactions, and is one of the and it's part of the last image that we see of her because the final shot of her in the movie before the car is driving away. It focuses on that hairband, shows it sparkling as a, yes, that really happened. She's taking a physical object from that world with her. No, it wasn't just a dream. And yes, she is actually taking these tangible experiences and and growths into the world with her.
1: And given what uh, Zaniba has said to her about memory, that one of the things that was... Upsetting her at the beginning of the story is that she's she's leaving behind this old world and old friends that she's afraid she may forget, and the things she's brought with her to remember them by, the flowers are
0: rapidly dying. Uh, yeah,
1: they're not going to last. But that there are there are ways to get your memories back that you never really lose them, and she can carry the friends she's made here in this world with her in very tiny ways that don't necessarily look big and flashy, but are nevertheless something that she can have with her at all times.
0: There's uh, themes from earlier Ghibli films that are resumed here. We've got uh, Castle in the Sky and uh, Princess Mononoke, Nausicaa and Pompoko, the raccoon balls one. This is so much more elegant for making the point that it is a juxtaposition of old-world traditional Japan fighting with new-world industrial and capitalist Japan, and the thing they're fighting over is the attention and soul of young Japan that Chihiro represents.
3: I don't want to say that they necessarily lose, but there's there's a letting go, because yeah. there's, there's a version of this where you could see... Chihiro, maybe not staying at the bathhouse, but doing more along the railroad or be or maybe coming into some kind of like caretaker role later. But so much of it is it's still a transitory experience. It's still a liminal space. And it's it's something that you take with you, but you can't stay there and you can't let it define you. and you can't say stuck there. and there's there's an elegance to that. But there's also, by nature of what it's doing, there's, there's a tragedy to the fact that, you know, we don't know if she's ever going to see any of these people again. Yes, it's great that she's got those memories and experiences and Haku says, maybe we'll meet again someday, but that's, that's a place that can only exist in a shell of, of something else. And there's no other place for them to go.
0: There's a bittersweet melancholy to it, rather like the end of Inside Out. But she had to grow to accept the joy aspect of that, these things I have done are not going to disappear, and that I can journey out into the world that is now less scary to me. The
2: moment of Chihiro's greatest joy is her connection with Haku, who is something she already had a previous connection with. Like, he is something she doesn't have strong memories of, but he was something she knew. So that was already her connection to the spiritual world. And now she's just a lot deeper in it than she used to be. Although she was drowning last time, so that was already pretty deep. (laughs) He is the ghost of a river.
3: I love the way the film is structured so that the the traditional sort of action climax happens about 30 minutes before the end of the movie. Hmm. And the actual emotional and thematic climax happens basically after the characters take a walk, have a train ride and have a snack. And with the nice old grandma, <laughs> with the nice old grandma. And that's, and that's where you get like this big, huge catharsis. One of the things that I, I really caught this time is Gilmo del Toro talks about how monsters look more convincing when you can see them in a repose. Mm. And one of the things that Miyazaki does is he's all story I- instead of plot when he's sort of at his most unfettered and this whole movie is is a world in repose it's almost like a narrative in repose you know you've just got this little ping pong bouncing around finding pieces of it that she needs and when you get to that that finale it's only when they're you know falling that you realize like oh wait that's why we kept focusing on her shoes that's why we kept seeing those images of the uh, of of her under the water that's why the the river is a barrier and then it's not once she has you know once she has passed that test Mm. and that particular bit with with haku is miyazaki looking at his his previous themes and going you know the the whole flying thing is she's been flying a lot but the the most joy that she has is when she's falling Mm. and that's just a, a complete surrender of like, and obviously, you know, they don't like fall and die, but it's it's just this surrender of, you know, control and expectations of just, they're they're both finally free and both completely understanding of
2: their place,
3: and then they're able to, you know, move on from there.
1: Also a,
2: that, that would be a great a how it should have ended bit. They've fallen, just <laughs> <laughs> collapsed into the water. Oh
0: <laughs> God. A river died by falling into a river. joke's on you he was already dead and a river
1: Ah. (laughs) but the moment of surrendering to the fall there is power in that and although the bulk of Chihiro's journey through her story is about ascent she has to choose to go up steps and up ladders and climb to Yubaba's apartment and fly out of the top window to get to um, to get back down again The the moments of greatest shift in her story are moments of descent, which are very rarely her choice. When she is climbing across to the bathhouse in the first place, and she takes... the This is one of my favourite moments. She takes those first few very careful, controlled steps, and then she slips, but she doesn't fall. Gravity takes hold of her, and she has to run to keep up, and... It's it's almost like that that leads back to what I was saying about you're going to grow up. There's nothing that you can do to stop that. It is going to grab you and take you. It's it's just about how you rise to meet that.
2: First time I ever saw the movie, I actually tuned in at that bit where she's walking down the stairs and for just going down the stairs, like it's so much like detailed animation and the, the tone of that outside staircase is awful, by the way hate those stairs no railings someone's gonna die
0: but they're oh, all spirits so... yeah. how many <laughs> monsters and ghosts and things died already
1: <laughs> is it making your health and safety brain twitch alejandra oh god yeah.
2: <laughs> god damn it
3: i especially love how far apart those final stairs are the big concrete ones
2: oh <laughs> yeah great. there's one missing and it's like ah should we fix it no one comes this way anyway when when, when does kamaji get out <laughs> and then it's
3: twinned with the the moment that the other moment that she's having to run around on the outside of the bathhouse and with the with this one it's set up so it's very obviously like a parallel to her going down the stairs but instead of creeping forward carefully she sees that pipe thing that she's like okay I guess I'm going to have to use that and preps herself and she takes a few moments to like okay this is going to get bad I'm going to tie up my sleeves going to do this and that and then as the pipe falls out from under her the like the literal path shifting under her feet she's able to navigate it and get to where she's supposed to go
0: this was originally developed by uh, Miyazaki after he vacationed in a mountain cabin with his family and a bunch of friends of the family including five girls and he wanted to make a film for his friends and for the girls so that they could see themselves up on screen um, he also read a bunch of shōjo mangas uh, to see what, what girls would be into. And it was just romance, romance, crushes, crushes. And he was like, don't care oh. about that. Because he's a nature spirit of sorts himself. He's like, right, you've got to absorb something, girls. So this is what this film is. It is a plea from the old Japan to the young to see the rest of the world.
2: Oh, I can see the shoujo influence. Hmm. Um, the bit where they're at uh, Zenibaba's cabin and Haku comes down in his dragon form. And uh, Chihiro just runs out and hugs his face. Like, she doesn't stop and think about it, how he's a big, scary dragon. Oh, yeah, he's a, a bad dragon. And like, oh, oh uh, no, no, <laughs> Chihiro's
0: a weapon, <I> Alex. <laughs> I am so sorry, that was terrible.
2: But um, I am going to say... The scene where she hugs his dragon face is not furry. It's not. It's scaly. But it's close because she is not hugging an animal in that moment. She is hugging... A, a person, a ghost that just of a river, to dragon shapes.
0: <laughs> so uh, Miyazaki himself actually contradicts what I said earlier about uh, Chihiro having to do a lot of growing up. He says, "I created a heroine who is an ordinary girl, someone with whom the audience can sympathise. It's not a story in which the characters grow up, but a story in which they draw on something inside them, brought out by the peculiar, particular circumstances." I want my young friends to live like that, and I think they too have such a wish. So much of this comes back to the lyrics of that song sung at the end, that, you know, that quiet... There are definite lyrics and themes there of death and rebirth. So, in effect, the old world Japan is dying and being reborn as the new, and it's kind of parading past Chihiro the remnants of what capitalism attempted and then failed at just a few years beforehand. You said uh, that uh, the the 90s theme park that uh, got created back when things were booming um, just got left to die. And I said, um, it's it's not dying, it's being reclaimed by nature. If anything, they left the concrete and the plaster and the pretense of a uh, old village to live. It's being swallowed back up by the earth. It's kind of what Miyazaki wants.
2: I mean, there's a reason abandoned theme parks is such like an aesthetic theme in certain mm. circles. Yeah. Um, the reclamation of things built by humans by nature is... Always beautiful if you get a good photographer on it. Yeah.
0: They make great ruins. Because a theme park, you can see, is being fit for purpose, but it's all a facade. They're building these plaster castles and saying, look, you're in a fantasy world. Oh, no the reality has risen up and is so much more vibrant than whatever we could create with w- wait a paint second
2: and wait a second that means the frickin' pyramids and the greek temples were the theme parks of
0: their day oh yeah four tickets to pantheon world please <laughs> i mean technically <laughs> mind, they were just, just like, like yes. i want you to make me a giant monument and then everyone who went to the trouble of building this for me i want them buried in there with me
1: it's an attempt to make something that's going to outlast you. Yeah. In a in a world where you're working with natural materials and they are ultimately going to be reclaimed by the earth eventually. The urge to create something that couldn't be overcome by nature is it, sort of founded in that that sense of mm. of we we feel so small and overwhelmed when it comes to this world of natural disasters that surrounds us, that we can't fight back. We want to be able to build something that a hurricane won't blow over, that a flood can't melt.
0: Uh, The bathhouse stemmed from when Miyazaki was a little boy. He, uh, rem- there was a bathhouse in his neighborhood that he thought was very mysterious because he never got to go in and explore it, but there was a small door next to one of the bathtubs in the house that I'm assuming he saw through the window, and he just never saw anyone go in or come out, but he was always curious about what happened behind that door, which uh, allowed him to create this almost labyrinthine backstage area.
2: Well, uh, cleansing and washing is a pretty major theme in uh, Shinto just in general, oh, yeah. which makes absolute sense because uh, Shinto is just the name for the traditional Japanese mythology and uh, quote-unquote religion. It didn't even have a name until Buddhism came along and they needed to distinguish it from something else.
1: Yeah, well, that's um, like Buddhism for- in general. The the word pagan doesn't really mean anything. It just means peasant. It just means the, the thing that the people who aren't us educated persons believe.
0: So yeah, paganism her... is a, a religion of the people rather than hand it down to yeah. them by higher ups but,
1: but specifically the names for it are imposed on it by the religion that's not it trying to distinguish itself. Right.
2: And uh, Japan as a nation doesn't really have much in the way of like really practical uh, resources beyond hot springs. They got lots of those. So I'm not surprised their religion focused on those. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's isn't Shinto's primarily sort of a form of, of ancestor worship, but the ancestor concept extends to rivers and mountains and woods, all being seen as our old family members?
2: I am not going to claim to be an expert, but I will. Based on my understanding, it is not simply uh, ancestor worship. The, the inherited spiritualism of objects is a much larger thing of it than just a- ancestors
0: gotcha i'm not gonna harp on wish uh because it's already gotten a kicking from absolutely everybody else and um, we just talked about it this weekend on the patreon but this was disney attempting a more painterly style over their pre-existing tangled frozen style 3d model uh world and to me Weirdly, it actually removed a lot of the depth. A lot felt flat, and the addition of texture that should have made everything feel much more tangible seemed to make everything more bland and almost conglomerated. Like, the characters did not stand out enough from the backgrounds, and the same director co-directed Tarzan in 1999, around about the same time as this, which is almost as beautiful as Spirited Away, and notably also used 3D and uh, computer-assisted moments to bring you into the screen, that deep canvas feel. So every time they rush forwards in Spirited Away, you get just a second or two of a forward-facing view... They have that same way of drawing you into the screen. But I'm just going to run some numbers by you, folks, because it's going to make you go, what the f... Wish cost $200 million. Spirited Away, $20 million.
2: What the hell? Yeah.
0: We have to go back. Uh, We we have to go back. I am (laughs) not but someone who is pre-lapsarian in their uh, philosophy. I don't think that we need to go back to everything from the old world, but there's a couple of things we could learn from the old world. For example, frugal use of budgets the astonishing feats that can be accomplished by artists.
2: Uh, I was going to say that uh, Japanese animators are notoriously actually not paid enough and are going, they're burning the candle at both ends real hard.
0: Yep, it's a so, really like, bad problem it, in that industry.
2: Yeah, if we adjust that, like, maybe Spirited Away should have cost more than 20 mil. But yeah. Uh, yeah, 200 mil, even with inflation, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
0: My guess was that they were employing a new style that could then be reapplied when they remake all the ones that have already been remade in live action. So it's like, hey, do you want the Aladdin wish animation style film? No, I don't. No. I've already
2: got Aladdin
0: animated. Yes, god damn it!
1: <laughs> but then that. Begs
0: but will you the pay question, us a billion dollars for it?
1: If if that's the point, if this cost two hundred million because they were invested in investing in new animation technology equipment. What the fuck did they spend Tangled 250 million on and is that already obsolete? Yeah, no, no
2: one's looking at Wish to be like, this is how we're going to animate. Everyone's looking at, like, Spider-Verse
0: or uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Mm -hmm. Disney are lagging. What we're getting from this is that Hayao Miyazaki, who, by the way, we watched a couple of things that really helped us get a handle to expand our understanding of Ghibli for this particular moment. A documentary, The uh, Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, Uh, Which follows uh, Hayao Miyazaki around as he grumpily finishes off on The Wind Rises and laments that the old world is dying and that no one, that new blood are not coming to take over. And he rails against the fact that uh, the Nippon Television Corporation are refusing to let him criticize the uh, Japanese government during uh, World War II.
2: Yeah, and V for Vendetta is not about uh, gay people, sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, Miyazaki came off as a guy who is grumpy and frumpy with all the adults. But there's times when he goes past the uh, child daycare centre at uh, Ghibli Studios and is very kind and sweet-natured to the kids. That is a character type that Comanji, the spider dude, absolutely personifies. That is... If there's a self-insert in there, that's me as Specifically,
1: the fact that he has all these arms and he's doing all these multitasks, and mm. when he is offered help, he says no. He can S- do it. He doesn't need any help.
0: Chain smoking like a maniac, and yet still lithe and quite healthy.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, there's a. Oh, I, people always talk about save the cat moments, but there's a little moment in this where Coman- Sen has gone to sleep, and Komandji approaches. And she's like curled up in a ball and shivering, and he just sort of puts a little blanket over her in a kind of a that that's that's beyond a save the cat. That shows that someone will be kind to someone who is not only vulnerable to the elements, but doesn't even know they're vulnerable to the elements because they are totally asleep and out of it.
3: That is such a beautiful moment because it's not just Kamaji taking care of of. Uh, Chihiro, but it's also one of the few times when all of his being is devoted to only one thing. Mm. So much of ah. when you see him, it's it's like they're showing off. This this is very clearly a a team that had a lot of experience because from from what I understand, it was basically a lot of the same people that had been working from. Um, either ocean waves or only yesterday up through, you know, Porco Rosso, Mononoke, Spirited Away, and you can see the the style that they're developing deep and in detail. But then you get to Kamaji and he's just like, he, I'm gonna drink this water and have my hands over here and do this and the and like so much is happening in that so that every time that there's just a little bit more of that stillness that you so often um, that you so often associate with Studio Ghibli stuff, it just really pops.
2: Kamaji, I I think there's more to going on with him than we really see in the movie. If I didn't know better, I'd say he was Yubaba's uh maybe not husband, but Bo's father. Just cuz he's down he's down in the basement. He's got like all this power that he's entirely devoted to. Like if he wanted to bring down this bathhouse, he could. He clearly has zero interest in doing that. He's dedicated to his job but like the fact that he has like ancient train tickets like yubaba wouldn't let anyone have those i can't imagine so i just i just feel like him and yubaba might have had something in the past and hmm. now they don't because it's like, busy working. Like Farnsworth and Mom. I don't know. I have zero evidence other than vibes on that one.
3: I think that if you look at pictures of Kamaji and Yubaba, next to pictures of, say, Dola and her husband from Castle in the Sky, there's more
0: than a little similarity. Mm-hmm. That's true. But uh, to go back to what I was uh, mentioning before, the, the the gruff grump who is mean to adults but kind to children is an instantly likable... Uh, character type for little children and this film goes out of its way to be scary but at the same time hold the child by the hand we always say hand holding is bad some of the time we walk actually,
1: on your own your little gargoyle it's not cool to get help
0: sometimes especially when we're uncertain about the world having someone hold our hand is actually really helpful and this film allows you and a couple of other characters to get really scary and then it slowly rounds out that fear factor as you see Yubaba kind of go to pieces so when she rages and rushes at Haku and he's just standing there stony faced and she starts to entwine him in her hair but he's just like nope this doesn't scare me anymore by that point the kids are like actually I can kind of understand why this scary witch might not be as powerful and as able able to just you know, change the entire world on on a whim. Mm. Like, that she is still working within rules and strictures.
1: Yeah, there's also the fact that she and uh, Zaniba are the, the opposing sides of the Baba Yaga-type yeah. The The hag goddess who is initially terrifying and assigns work to do, but is also grandmotherly and loving. She mm. keeps knowledge, she is a source of protection, but on initially meeting her, she has this sort of overwhelming... Being in charge of everything, I can't get past this feel to her. Yeah,
3: there's a an element of the terror in this that is. So there's there's a lot of unfortunate flattening of Studio Ghibli's sort of I guess um, reputation or feel or or milieu of they're the cozy studio, and that sort of forgets things like um, everything in Princess Mononoke yeah. or. <laughs> no face projectile vomiting onto you baba mm.
0: or haku blundering around the place this dragon bleeding to death everywhere Deep and covered in blood, blood <laughs> and cu- and just like destroying rooms in this violent dog like way mm.
1: yeah. and or it's the Nausicaa rescuing the world from nuclear winter mm.
3: Exactly, but the the way it's used here, it's very much the way in which worlds are weird and confusing and scary to children, specifically because of a lack of context, because so much of what it, Chihiro is responding to is, I have no idea what the rules are here. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And so everything is terrifying and weird and kind of gross. And the more she feels comfortable in the bathhouse, the more the gross goes from being sort of frightening to, like, with say the uh, the river spirit that she helps with the bath, just being kind of like funny, and and it turns into almost a, uh, uh, not so much like specifically gross art humor, but uh, again, Yubaba getting barfed on really funny, <laughs> and the the way it it transitions those, it's it's using these. Uh, you know, for for lack of a better term, uh, Miyazaki choosing to get weird, uh, which I, I love getting to see um, the the boy and the heron is a a, a hallmark example of the weird stuff. Um, but you get to see that transition from purpose into off-putting into being, you know, a moment of levity or refuge or oh, haha, that's great instead of being something that she is having to emotionally contend with.
1: And it's because she is given the tools to deal with it when she is addressing the filth of the river spirit, which nobody else is able to identify. They all treat him as well. Yubaba mentions that it looks like a stink spirit, but something's not quite right. But she isn't able to put her finger on what the problem is. It's Sen who finds the the bicycle stuck in its side. She's the one who works out that we need to pull this out. But then the rest of the staff bring her rope uh, the tokens that No Face gave her earlier that's one of the things that he gives her as, as an exchange for her help and she is able to use those to get enough Herbal soak to wash all of the sludge away. Yeah,
0: even uh, the, Yubaba proves to be incredibly helpful and mucks in literally when they need. There needs to be a heave ho. You need to all look at one person who's going to command the entire room. Yubaba grabs a pair of gold fans and goes right. Everybody, left and right. It's fantastic. The um
2: the movie absolutely does get scary, but I was very shocked that the designs are. Kind of not scary at all. Like the uh, the scariest thing is the bird form that Yubaba takes, which mm-hmm. is really unsettlingly alien. And it's so strange because like Japanese mythology is laden with fascinating um, yokai designs, monster designs, mm-hmm. but they don't really tap into any of that here. Like uh, the background characters are mostly frogs, slug people. Um, everything is, uh, yeah, everything's drawing from Kami designs, and Kami's are separate from Yokai's, and then, like, uh, you know, Kami's are sort of, like, um, nature spirits that, like, draw in power from worship and just the natural world so like it can be anything as big as a river dragon or as silly as a uh turnip man it was noteworthy to me that yubaba is not a kami she is not a yokai she is a sorceress haku the river dragon is coming to her to learn sorcery because this is just something i've kind of picked up over all my time in anime but uh Sorcery is a separate thing from the nature power that commies like hockey would uh, draw from. It's not inherently evil, but it is sort of inherently capitalistic, I guess would be the word. Like you have to, you have to exploit something to achieve the power of a sorceress. Now, whether that exploitation is Ultimately good or bad in the long term is kind of up to the story writer but it is like a different source of power.
3: It's also a different way of of using that power. A lot of what we see the uh, the, the way Yubaba uses energy it's like she's uh, taking and and reshaping rather than channeling. You know a lot of the other types of of you know naturalistic or or magic that we see in Miyazaki's other films especially when characters are are less antagonistic it's about them channeling other forces you know specifically like say the um the the way the amulet is used by different characters in Castle in the Sky whereas you Yubaba is all about this control and contracts and and again you know she's bound by these sets of rules and that's and that's because of the type of magic that she has it's, it's basically you know put her sort of in this spider web that's as much a you know, not necessarily a prison, but it's, 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 it's much a construct that keeps her in one place as anything else.
1: Mm. And I suppose you could say that that is reflected by the fact that she has to keep the baby in this state of arrested development. It's the utterly one thing I find terrifying. And Willow said this and I agree. That baby is scary because it shouldn't be <laughs> as big as it is. But it's been contained and not allowed to grow and not allowed to develop and cooped up and is therefore spoiled and aggressive and demanding until it's given the opportunity to change its form and go outside and actually learn about the outside world. I I think you're onto something there. This structure that Yubaba is the centre of traps her. She is not... Exchanging for her magic. She is not putting back to, to trade for the things that she uses, and therefore she's stuck.
0: That would make Bo, the selfish child that uh, technically represents Chihiro at the beginning of the story, not wanting to go outside, not wanting to go anywhere. I don't want to come vote. Afraid and angry, and just not willing to do new things.
1: Mm. With absolutely good reason. Mm. But in that moment, yes, that that what that baby needs is to be transformed. Well, to, to begin with, to be nurtured and uh, to not be baby yeah.
0: for just a
1: short while to give them give it the confidence to move outwards.
0: Mm. We're back to the hand holding side of it. If you watch the film, you can actually tell when the film is holding your hand, because that's when uh, Chihiro meets somebody new who can point her in the right direction. And at that point, you as Chihiro in your avatar form are being moved to another place and maybe another helper but there are times when chihiro is on her own and has to do something usually pretty dangerous or rely on her wits that's when you aren't having your hand held and by the end the film lets go and lets you and chihiro wander off into an uncertain future that you are no longer afraid of
2: i i do kind of want to counterpoint you baba uh taking and not giving anything back. Like, she has absolutely trapped herself within her own, like, structure of how to run this bathhouse, but the bathhouse is not an inherent bat. It heals the poisoned river spirit. Mm-hmm. It is a service given to the spirit community. It's just also been layered with all this pomp and circumstance that costs a lot of money and needs a lot of servants and is definitely exploiting some labor. But, I would like to have a hot springs. That sounds lovely. <laughs>
3: they're performing yeah. a service
0: for the spirit world. Yeah,
3: but it's still bound by the structures of capitalism. Like yeah. they're still having to pay for for all this stuff with gold. But no, that is that is a, a very good point. Um, I I do I do love speaking of the baby. The thing too big and not where it goes means scary is such a great sort of visual running gag here. Specifically, the teeth that no face has because they're not scary teeth, but that makes them so much worse. Huh. And that's, that's sort of like a lot of the way that they they approach the, the design of things to make them unsettling versus not.
1: Mm. The hair as well, the hair that suddenly manifests on No Face that wasn't there before. Where did that hair come from? That hair is not right.
0: Does it, When he starts speaking, is that the voice of the frog? It is, it's the same voice actor yeah. in the dub. That makes all kinds of sense. Uh, Also, Yubaba uh, has enslaved a dead river because she's capitalism, and has sent the Dead River out to steal from her sister, who is the opposing side of her, who does not live in a capitalist hellscape. She uh, lives quietly in a cottage, like Sharon would like to do, living with the land. And she wants to steal her sacred seal, which means, I don't know what, it's a MacGuffin. But oh, re- I I, yep. I have a whole thing on that seal. <laughs> okay. Depending on what you're going to say about it, to me, it represents that Yubaba cannot see that there is merit to the. balance between having two of her out there one that does this and the other one that does this if she takes all the power from the country version of herself she becomes only capitalism and dies with capitalism
2: so the seal is something that um, is a Japanese culture specific thing I don't know the details but that seal basically counts as signatory power Mm -hmm. it's if you have someone's seal you sort of have um, power of attorney over them. So I don't know what is planning to do with that seal, but it would uh, theoretically Forged just documents. give her- Yeah, it Yeah, well, it would give her access to all of Zenibaba's magic. Hmm.
3: Just, it's, it would be hers like, now. <laughs> it's like the way she gains power over people by literally taking their name, yeah. which is, I, I love that particular sort of uh, magical trope. It's It's such a great thing of, you know, lots of fairy folklore but just the the ownership of a name or something that represents a name signifies ownership over, you know, that thing or their ortho dominions.
2: You know, in a, in a non-mystical sense, you could just have, like, a uh, drama between two older sisters trying to hold on to the family crest mm-hmm. uh, seal in order to, you know, see who gets the inheritance. Oh, like, the uh, just...
0: Netflix origin series uh, behind Yubaba is on the way. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, No one consulted with Miyazaki. They just uh, did it without him.
3: It'll be 12 episodes long, and it'll have enough story for about three.
0: (laughs) But I am looking forward to seeing Tilda Swinton play, both sisters. The pollution, the stink demon that's actually a a polluted river, it's it's funny how disgusting it is, but there's a, a, a sense of ruin when it is unplugged as this old bicycle comes out and like just this just just this repulsive amount of garbage and mechanical waste just pouring out in a brown oozing sump repugnant and yet filled with gold as well so it's it's like there's a lure even amidst the wreckage that capitalism leaves behind there's the yeah i know it it looks disgusting but there's money in it
1: to the spirit the gold is as much waste as the crap and twisted metal that falls yeah. out of it.
0: But the actual purification of this spirit, as it is washed clean, uh, Chinto style, reminds me of, if anything, uh, Odd Tinkering on YouTube, where they take old DS lights and old Super oh, yeah. Nintendos and scrub all of that yellowing plastic until the dirt's gone and then blast it with UV and then Uh, gently, quietly, carefully solder as many original parts that they can back together so that they can bring it back to better than original working order. And there's this sense of, I'm not going to give up on this thing. I'm not just going to scrap it and, you know, only ordering spare parts when the others are seared and broken and melted and malformed. It's so peaceful watching those videos. Even if they go on for half an hour, the diligence required and the wordlessness and sparing quality of this. It's like that bit in Toy Story 2 where the toy polishing guy played by Jerry from Jerry's Game polishes Woody up and actually makes him look good as new or better. It's a tacit message that nothing is too ruined, that we can actually fix this. We just need the will to get our hands dirty and make the effort.
3: I also feel it's like the origin story of a generation's obsession with Dr. Pimple Popper videos.
1: Oh, also so gross, gross, but
0: I suppose there's something oddly satisfying about purification of the skin in I that way.
1: I keep getting those fucking things in my YouTube feed. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> your my YouTube feed
2: is nothing like that but my roommate loves those and I can't stand
0: them well By I'm the sorry folks uh, The uh, your phones are listening and you'll now be getting that in your uh, uh, feed as well, just tell YouTube not interested, every time
2: it'll listen after three years
0: <laughs> uh, the other of the two things that Sharon and I watched was an on stage all Japanese production of Spirited Away which was absolutely astonishingly good. It was clearly put together by a group who adored and continue to adore Spirited Away. Every single moment delightful. is given a little extra attention, the detail of the costumes and what is done and just little things and the puppetry are being employed. Everyone enters into it with such enthusiasm. It is enchanting and I really hope that this becomes available for everyone to watch
3: if I remember that particular production, I think that is at least getting some sort of disc release. Um, I don't know if it's getting a, a, a domestic or, or anyway, anywhere out of, uh, Japan, but it's, it's definitely getting some sort of, uh, DVD or, or blue way, uh, blu-ray from like, um, I think, uh, G kids or something. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, there's there's specifically the Spirited Away live on stage Blu-ray uh, that is com- uh, becoming available. So I'm very excited to check that out. I've been very curious just to see how that... I-, I have a thing about ridiculous stage productions of fantastical stories and the insane amount of work that has to go into that. So I'm very excited to look at that.
0: Well, apparently this was released in, on November 14th, 2023, which means Americans should be able to get it. Uh, However, it is Shout Factory, which means it will be region locked. So British people won't be able to get it. But maybe we'll get it. Probably not. But yeah, it is simply called Spirited Away, live on stage. It was made only a few years ago. It is absolutely beautiful. And it, it has a full orchestra playing. Joe Hisaishi's score, which is burned no that's too violent which flows through my brain along well-worn grooves it is one of my favorite scores of a film ever up there with howard shaw's lord of the rings it is so peaceful and at the same time it goes up to jaunty and fun and glorious and then back down to ominous and spooky and then across to oh my god there's a big thing and then back to quiet again never Better than when it's actually at its quietest when she's on the train to the sixth station in this, tr- like a piece of cinema that could arguably be the best piece of cinema ever because it's the best visual part of Spirited Away and it's so relatable to anyone who's ever been on a train in an odd, tired, I don't quite know where I'm going or what I'm doing type of journey. But at the same time, staring out at the land as it goes by is unutterably peaceful. This flooded landscape of nature that is not under attack. It's just sleeping.
3: The way that evokes almost like an apocalyptic sort of state of the world, everything in Spirited Away after you're out of the bathhouse everything is shadows and everything is just stops along the tracks and everything that she's looking out at is this body of water where there's there's buildings and stops and and shadows but none of it is something that she can actually touch or or can or or can go to without deviating from from the path set to her uh, it it reminds me a lot of the way that uh, Ponyo is like this just very very chill disaster movie yeah. because once we get to the the setting where nature has encroached in on nature and there's barely any room for for man at all there's there's clearly something that's that kind of like hits a a lizard brain part of Miyazaki that's just he keeps coming back to that cuz you can see it everywhere but here you're allowed to sit with it and just take it in in a way that you're not allowed to in a lot of other, even movies of his. It's just passing through. And you're basically not held captive, but you're you're put in this place where you have to just relish this experience. This is all that there is. And so you better enjoy this this moment with these people.
0: I have a question, Uh, what does the section at the very end where, uh, as you say, there's no big zooming Pixar action sequence, that's already kind of taken place with the victory at the bathhouse, as uh, Sen uh, slash Chihiro proves herself to everyone who initially was incredibly racist to her. They were like, oh my God, it's a human. How disgusting. They smell. I can smell you. (laughs) But at the very end, she gets shown these pigs and asked Bayou Baba, from this, say, nearly dozen uh, ant porkers, which are your parents? And her she stares for a while and then says, no, none of them. And then they burst back into uh, employees of the bathhouse and it's like, yeah, you did it right, Sen, well done. And just everyone's congratulating her. It's very Dorothy at the end of Wizard of Oz. Why is that significant? I have a theory, but it I'm interested in hearing what you guys think.
1: For me, it's the it's her ability to recognise the truth behind things. She has remembered who Haku is, not because she recognises him with her eyes, but she recognises the feeling that she gets when she's around him, which is that sense of gratitude for being saved when he picked her up and, and put her back on the bank of the river when she was little. Yeah. And... The picking her or, or rightly recognizing that her parents are not in that particular lineup, the way she does it to me is about relying on her own instincts and listening to that gut feeling that says, no, none of these feel like my parents. They're not going to obviously not going to look like them, but I don't get that feeling that I get when I'm standing next to my parents, and therefore they're not here
3: there's such a small moment where Haku says, take a good look at your parents when he takes her to the, the pig pen very early on. And it's easy to sort of dismiss her, her very like childlike way of screwing up her face and looking very closely. But then again, That's whether it's her remembering, you know, small details from that or just the feeling that she got looking at her parents, regardless of their shape. Uh, Like you said, Sharon, it's it's very much her being able to see beyond the, the the veil that magic has has created over here. She's she's able to not just see through to the truth of things, but she's able to see people for who they are. And that's why she, she realizes that Yubaba's... She calls her Granny. She's like, yeah, you're, you're kind of all hot air.
0: See, I love that because uh, uh, the baby calls Yubaba Mama and uh, then stands up for uh, himself and says, no, 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 I've, I've gone out, I've learned a few things. I, I, can, I can be out in the world, I won't get the germs. And you, enough with your Munchausen syndrome. And <sighs> calling Yubaba Granny puts her on the same footing as Zaniba, So it's effectively saying you don't have to be this hard-ass all the time. There are other aspects of you that can be living. In other words, capitalism not necessarily entirely bad. There's ways it can work with the world. It's just usually way too hard and greedy.
2: Yeah, capitalism is uh, an extreme form of trade. And trade is good, actually. Uh, We like uh, having things that other people need
0: and they give us stuff that we need. It's it's a solid system. It worked for a long time. Yeah. And not doing that would be everyone lives alone in a hut in the woods. No trading with anyone else. What you can forage for is yours. And yes, your neighbours will try to kill you.
2: I sure hope you can forage
0: up some insulin. (laughs) But yeah, I actually thought watching it this time that... It's almost like, because this is all taking place internally, much like Labyrinth or Pan's Labyrinth, it's just that both of those did actually happen. Uh, it's it's at once happening externally and internally. Jihiro turned her parents into pigs because of her sense of disgust and that she wasn't even the same kind of person as them. Like She reels away from them. And yeah, you know, they're, they're just shoving their faces into the food like pigs, so it's very appropriate... That when she comes back, she can't even recognise them. It's like that bit in Animal Farm where you couldn't tell which were humans and which were pigs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a, a sense of sort of she sees them that way, whether they are really that way or not.
0: Indeed, but that would mean that her saying no, nope, none of these are my parents, and she doesn't go back and find actual pig people. She finds her parents, yeah. and they're finally looking. They've out
1: already for her. transformed. Yeah. yeah
0: which would be indicative of an acceptance of her parents' failings as a previous generation of not really paying attention, but she can pay attention.
1: Yeah, and the fact that they, after that point, do start listening to her fears and concerns in a way that they weren't before is almost as if it's a nod to she can now, as well as seeing their failings, she can also see their strengths.
3: Yeah, The casually kind of crappy parents that still love their kids is one of my favorite things in Miyazaki movies (laughs) Mm.
2: they're not they're not even particularly crappy they're just like really blasé about how like upsetting
0: this move is yeah
3: yeah well and and the whole like i'm gonna drive really fast down this unknown road
0: (laughs) And also, uh, uh, the mother, when they stop almost having collided with a small statue that would be rooted to the ground and would wipe out their car, she doesn't scold her husband for driving like a maniac. She's like, let's investigate.
2: I think Miyazaki just thinks parents drive like maniacs if uh, Ponyo's any indication. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But yeah, there's not that... Adherence to old people or older people necessarily being requiring of respect, which is so important in Japanese culture. So it's all, like, almost all Ghibli films are like, OK, the kids definitely need to, to experience some of life, but listen to them, they're quite observant.
1: There is a running theme of courtesy, certainly, when... Um Chihiro is initially being taken under Lynn's wing. She speaks to her about the importance of saying thank you or yes, ma'am. She insists that she thanks the boiler man as they leave. Uh, command you. Command you And leaving your shoes and socks behind because you won't need them once we're inside. Um,
0: we won't need shoes where we're
1: going. Yeah. Um, but then. Uh, Yubaba uses that courtesy against Chihiro Mm. by trying to get her to chop in whoever's been helping her.
0: Kind of the way capitalism coerces you into working every possible hour God sends and thinking you're a failure if you don't Mm. and getting everyone else to call you a failure if you don't.
1: Indeed.
2: The uh, bit at the end where Haku says that uh, Chihiro cannot look back, Mm. Um, a very Orpheus Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice, yeah. Um, I I don't know if there's a myth like that in Japanese culture, but also I know for a fact Miyazaki's pretty fond of English uh, writing, so he Mm. certainly knows that one.
1: The the, uh, trope of escaping the underworld and not looking back is uh, it's not like massively everywhere but it is relatively common mm.
0: and uh, you mentioned her we mentioned her a couple of times but uh megara from hercules played by susan egan who plays a lynn in the Ooh. american version of this which automatically despite the nuance lost in the translation makes it better than the japanese one because we get more susan egan and she's fantastic
2: yeah, the, uh, the the dub is one. I'm actually probably going to just watch the subtitles from now on because the guy who voices Haku in the dub is just a little too familiar to me. Like he sounds a little bit too much like a bunch of cartoons I watched. Uh, um, and Haku is a goof. really, he's a really central <laughs> character, but I am going to miss Lynn's Susan Egan voice. That's
0: so good. I especially love how seemingly everyone agrees in this world that roasted newt is the greatest piece of bargaining you can actually come up with. Something that looks so gross you would walk straight past it in a Zelda game. And just go, you know, oh, Roasted Newt! It's almost the same as in Who Frame Roger Rabbit, where they um un- they unload a barrel of turpentine and Jessica Rabbit screams, Oh my god, it's deep! in a way that suggests that humans wouldn't be all that bothered by this, but it matters a lot to toons.
2: Is roasted newt a delicacy for frog and slug people? Because I, I can uh, no one is human there. They all look relatively human, but that's probably just because they've taken on human mm. tasks.
0: Uh, of all of them, I th- it feels like, uh, Lynn feels the most human, but she still Gobbles down that newt Like someone who eats newts all the time Also, Willow would like it known that they always Really liked the radish spirit Because it's a big scary-looking thing that's actually quite considerate, especially to small children.
2: Uh, It's almost like there's a theme to things
0: Willow likes. We should write this down somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) So I suppose the opposite of Bo the baby, who threatens to kill her, like, just just, in a little child voice, I'll
3: kill you!
0: It's like, whoa, that's a bit too extreme. (laughs) However, this uh, film still only got a PG from the BBFC, which doesn't mean PG-13, which I think is a good way of illustrating the importance of hand-holding. Again, that's an inherently negative sentence. But ultimately, you're just suggesting sometimes people need a little extra guidance before you then let go of their hand. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you hold onto their hand the whole time and they're like, I'm trying to pull away and you won't let them go, that's obsession. But holding them for a bit when they need it, it's like if you were going to have a like a leg sawn off and someone came and sat beside you and it was like, just squeeze my hand and please don't break my fingers. But... Like, hand-holding, going, no, I'm not going to hold anyone's hand. I'm too tough for that. Do we have to go by the rules of those guys who do nothing but obliterate their taste buds with the hottest of hot sauces to prove how tough they are?
2: Fellas, is it gay?
0: Yeah, it is. Like, if if you shed a single tear while you're having your legs sawn off, then you're gay. (laughs) Without an aesthetic.
3: There's there's a lot of um, what I what I kind of refer to as like narrative scaffolding. Um. The you know we're going to boost the audience up just far enough to reach this little this little bit yeah. that is almost invisible in this. And the the way again, it's very clear in a lot of other movies, uh, specifically ones like once you watch a lot of Pixar movies, like oh okay, this is where you're going to explain all the rules to the audience so that they can understand everything, and there's no chance anyone gets left behind. But but like you said with this there's there's just there's just enough so that you know the audience can reach that next step along mm. with Chihiro. Mm. And then by the by the time you get like about past the halfway point, you're almost not even needing that anymore because you're just doing what Chihiro's doing. It's like, Oh yeah, okay, so she got the medicine. Ooh, that did taste bad. Oh, so that's why okay, yep, give that to and And they're just immediately following along.
1: Mm. And it helps that those pauses are built into it as well. Those moments when Chihiro gets to rest, the audience gets to think about what they've just seen and start putting Mm. pieces into place.
0: It's possibly one of the reasons I love this film so much. It speaks to all of us on the same level. It doesn't patronise the kids and it doesn't say to the adults, hey, here's some jokes referencing The Godfather for you. Well, American Beauty, everyone remember that?
1: Mm. But it does go, hey... Remember Eurydice. <laughs> yes, there we go. That one's for you, Mum.
0: <laughs> but also, uh, as, uh, as we said way earlier, uh, Chihiro ends up reaching out to those who are lonely and effectively becomes kind of a big sister to No Face, the way that Lynn is sort of a big sister to her. And to Bo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, part she... of the reason everyone's cheering for her at the end is because, like, she's made like a tangible impact on their lives. I'm like, okay, part of it was definitely saving them from No-Face. There, A lot of the background characters are cheering just for that, I'm sure. But, like, she brought a spark of kindness into this bathhouse that had been missing for a while. Yeah.
0: But that also specifically means that the whole thing is analogous with the tumultuous first week at school, where you go from being terrified of everyone and guided around by a few, what was that word? The spirit guide.
1: The psychopomp.
0: The psychopomp, mm. which would be like a big brother or big, big sister program yeah. in a school where a slightly older kid will show you around.
1: Absolutely. And also the fact that you're going to die, ways, new kid. One of the ways you can help children who feel out of their depth in a situation is give them somebody more vulnerable than themselves to take to care after. of. Exactly. Because the, by, by looking after someone else, they need looking after. The the person that is struggling needs that nurturing and, and care, which is By why their selfishness
0: is out of control. Well, no, because no, no. they're like, I've got to nurture myself, and that means that I'm. It's all about my own personal it, ego. Exactly,
1: that's the thing. If you if you're encouraged to turn that nurturing outwards, mm-hmm. then that it's the process of connecting with the person that you're nurturing with allows that nurturing to come back to you. It
0: nourishes. Yeah.
1: If all you're doing is trying to take care of yourself, you can't you can't feel it because it's just going round and round and round in a circle. It's not amplifying by being sent out of you to come back.
0: There's someone on our Discord who won't be listening to this because they don't listen to the show, but I really would like them to take on board that aspect of this film.
3: The other thing that, that she manages is she's... It's sort of the way Matilda comes into mm. to uh, School, except you kind of have a little bit of Miss Honey and a little bit of Miss Trunchbull in the same character with Yubaba, and that you have something that is sort of functioning the way it's supposed to. Unlike, say, you know, Matilda's school that is completely in need of of redoing, it just needs to be pushed back a little bit more into balance. And so that's that's what Chihiro's kind of doing. She's just she's this little pebble that's thrown into the pond. And the ripples kind of like clear up the reflection for everything. She's she's able to shift things just a little bit more so that the the power dynamics and the priorities of everyone and it's like everyone's kind of like reminded of like, oh, wait, yeah, um, because humans by their nature are, we are transitory, we're going to die. You know, we're, we're here for, for one reason and that's to return back to the biomass that birthed us. And because that's sort of that that we burn briefly but brightly is so, and again, it's not something that the movie like hangs a hat on or anything, but that is what hero's doing. She's just this little spark that's gone into the bathhouse and she's kind of reminded them of, you know, the the natural world because humans are a part of that too. And so that's just this, this thing that kind of percolates into the bathhouse. And I think that's why everyone's cheering for her because, you know, they can see, oh, wait, there's there's a way this can work better. Mm. You know, this was this is something that doesn't need to be completely torn down. This is obviously something that is a good, but it can be done better. And Chihiro kind of, like, helps nudge that
0: along. See, now I'm picturing uh, Lynn saying...
1: Oi, new kids! And so you think you're able survive this mess by
2: being a prince or a princess He will soon see there's no escaping
0: tragedy J- sorry
3: she does have big prefect energy
0: yeah any other business regarding spirited away that hasn't been said that you just really are dying to say
2: i don't think that miyazaki gets adults mm. um i i he doesn't necessarily get children either
0: but he appreciates them much more than adults and that he is. He disapproves a of what adults have done to the world, so if he's going to blame anyone, it's them, not the kids.
2: Yeah, but the thing... His disapproval doesn't come from a position of understanding. No. His disapproval comes from seeing what the results are of adults' actions and hating that. He doesn't actually understand why anyone has done anything. Um, but, yeah, this movie is perfect
3: i think the the things that we've sort of discussed make this a very ideal uh first miyazaki or first challenging movie for a lot of kids because Mm -hmm. it is the sort of film that will give them you know a little bit of that frightening jolt that kids find exciting but in a safe enough way because of both the fact that it's a cartoon and so there's that layer of unreality but also it's going to speak to their innate sense of observation because kids are so much more observant than we really kind of give them credit for Mm. and i think that's one of the things that this movie specifically whether or not miyazaki gets kids um this movie gets that about them in that that's that's so baked into how they they grow and it allows that to be a not just a a byproduct, but it's an intentional narrative hook of of everything. It's this this observation and and learning through, like you know, like a kid learning to walk through watching people around them, and it's it's kind of that only on an emotional level.
0: Sharon, any more business?
1: two things. Uh, One, shoes represent keys Mm -hmm. in this film. Chihiro drops her shoe in the river when she's little and it's going in after that that causes her to make that connection with Haku that will come back later. Mm -hmm. And the shoes that she brings with her from the outside world are hidden away safely for her so that she can put them back on to go back over the bridge uh, to see her parents. The shoe is very... Important in fairy tale symbology because it's it's the thing that both protects you from the, uh, the anything sharp on the ground that's going to hurt your feet, but it also isolates you from being able to connect with that ground. So it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. Also, uh, Willow had a great quote at the end of this film: uh, "I faced down a giant black blob that was trying to eat me out of loneliness. I think I can handle homework."
0: Mm. (laughs) hmm that's beautiful thank you uh i would consider this to be a great third studio ghibli film totoro kiki spirited Mm. if they're not in love with ghibli by that point you, you know you've done the best you could if you as an adult haven't seen any ghibli films this is the one to watch
2: maybe castle in the sky if it's a little boy who needs a bit more action
0: maybe yeah, maybe, yeah, if it's a boy who's like, that's oh, boring, then yeah, switch castle for Totoro. And I guess you could switch Kiki's Delivery Service with Porco Rosso. Honestly, it feels like this almost spoiled Ghibli for me, because the first one that I ever saw was uh, Princess Mononoke. And I was like, this is really harsh in my early 20s. Then I saw Spirited Away and went, this is magnificent. And then every subsequent Ghibli, I was like, that's really good. Not quite as good as Spirited Away, but really good. I like that a lot. Hmm, Lin? What? What's that smell? It's human. You smell just like a human. Oh, really? Where's it coming from, Lin? Come on. You're hiding something,
3: aren't you? Show it to me. Is this what you smell?
0: (gasps) Roasted.
3: (laughs) No way, frog. I'm saving every last
0: bite for myself. Please, just a little bit. Just give me a leg. If you want to go up, pull the lever on your right. Give me, give me, give me. The lever! Honestly, I feel like Miyazaki has had a profound effect on my life and my relationship to nature. The sense of peace I get out in the green on a summer's day when no one else is around. I always had that as a kid, but I feel it with much more sharpness now. The absence of people. Not in a, thank God I hate people, but in a kind of a, this is the quiet earth way. And for that, I will always be grateful to him. Okay, let's end on a bittersweet song about memories. Since this is a film that also embraces the theme that the things we remember don't ever truly go away and that these memories can come back to us. Before we go, would anybody like to plug anything? Start with Brendan.
3: Yes. Um, just within this past year, uh, my my compatriot Brendan Foley and I did a uh, Living with Miyazaki series on our site, Synapse. Um, That's C-I-N-A-P-S-E dot C-O. And uh, he he is actually the one who handled the the write up for Spirited Away. I would highly recommend you find that um, it's Living with Miyazaki uh, on Synapse. Uh, Spirited Away was his absolutely incredible uh, breakdown of of the the lessons from that movie. Um, and also, uh, if you need something to listen to, um, uh, my podcast Make Me Watch It should have a a mini episode on uh the uh the newest miyazaki film how do you live slash the boy and the heron up within
0: the next few days and alejandra
2: yes i still have my uh youtube channel at pluto burns where i do occasionally release videos last one was on uh five nights at freddy's versus banana splits versus willie's wonderland boy that sounds familiar But um, much more in keeping with this, I would recommend that people check out two manga slash animes that kind of tap into the same spirited away Shinto collage element. Um, There's uh, Kamisama Kiss, which is a pretty well-known shoujo anime manga where a girl uh, kind of falls for a fox demon and becomes a land god. And then the much more obscure Keikashi, which is uh, it's really hard to explain, but that's more in the shonen space and never really got it to do.
0: Thank you. Okay, we will be back next week with Final Fantasy VII, folks. It's been a long time coming. One of my absolute favorite games of all time. It's a hell of a show because Sharon played and completed it for the first time. Until then, I have been Alex Shaw
1: I've been Sharon Shaw
0: And School's Out It's calling somewhere deep inside my chest I always want to have exciting dreams I can't count the sadness But I'm sure I'll meet you on the other side School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our top-tier $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman. quiet heart when we say goodbye My body becomes zero But I listen carefully The wonder of living The wonder of dying The flower, the wind And the city are all the same la, 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 la. Chris Finnick Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salgaro Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman David Sheely Finbar Nicole Frankie Punezi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson. The quiet window of the first morning, because it will become zero, be fulfilled. I won't search beyond the sea anymore, something that shines is always here, because it was found within me. Joe Gluck Kevin Behe Lorraine Chisholm Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert Michael Haskell Sean Doran Toby Skills Jungius Tim Rosensky Timothy Green Tom Painter Timu Hellas-Hayo Sarah Montgomery and Kat Esman